Hey, hello to all you emo progs on the alt-left. It's good to be back with you. I'm Kevin Gastola. This is the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. And we just have a short, I suppose we'll call it a mini-sode for you uh, this week. And then we're going to be on a break and come back after the Labor Day weekend. And hopefully at that point, Rania Kalik will be back with us. She's in a very uh, remote locations in the Middle East, currently doing reporting work that you can find at alternate.org. Uh, she's been posting reports. Uh, many of them have been Syria-related. And uh, she, uh, I wanted to have her provide an update for all of you, because I know as listeners you're interested in what Rania is up to. But uh, technology and the the fact that she's in a location with bad connectivity uh, was a barrier to making that possible. Uh, However, she wishes all of you well and hopes to be back soon. And I think that if she was able to participate in this show this week, uh, she would talk about something that she tweeted out um, this past week. And it relates to actually a show uh, that we did on on uh, Hezbollah. We had Amal Saad, who talked about how the forces were pushing back ISIS out of Lebanon. And uh, she made a point about how the most effective forces against the Islam- Islamic State have been America's adversaries. They've been people that were told to fear, hate, Loath, despise, Hezbollah, Syrian army, Russia, and uh, Iraq's uh, PMUs. So she pointed out that U.S. policies have both unintentionally and intentionally facilitated the rise of ISIS, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, Syria, Lebanon. She pointed this out. She particularly wanted liberals to recognize this fact and that the groups and countries cleaning up America's mess are demonized and punished with sanctions. It's so backwards. Even after all this, U.S. analysts, officials, media like to spin fairy tales about America leading the fight against terrorism. It's particularly interesting now that there is a pushback against the rise of fascists in the U.S. U.S. policies that gave rise to cartoonishly barbaric terrorist groups in the Middle East fed the alt-right narrative in the West. And she made a point about how U.S. foreign policy feeds the alt-right. We've talked about this a little bit on our show. And so I think that uh, that's a timely sort of thing to raise uh, as as we do this uh, brief show. And, of course, wish Rania well with her continued journalism in the Middle East, which is important. And if you recall, as we've talked about, uh, there are far and few progressive publications that are interested in publishing Rania Kalik, even though she's on the ground doing this sort of hard-hitting investigative journalism. And nonetheless, Alternate has uh, been able to support her work, and so that has made it possible for her to continue what she's doing there in the region. 
Now, last week, we didn't get to any listener comments, but this is always one of my favorite parts of the show, where I get to share with people how some of our most uh, loyal and dedicated listeners and even patrons feel about what we've talked about on our program or on our podcast. And uh, so I just wanted to read from Hannah uh, that she was responding to the show that we did the interview with Tom Secker about the influence of military and security agencies on cinema. And uh, she just said that it was a great show. Even though I miss Rania, I realize she's amidst crucial reporting. I can't wait to hear about it all. And she said that she had a couple recommendations for the show in general. I have a few minutes dedicated to social media gaps or worthy of mentioning since many of us follow you both on Twitter. It can be funny or worth calling out. Your choice. Uh, and then suggested that perhaps in the future this show could have two guests in a debate format. Anyway, keep up the good work, and I look forward to the next episode, and she told Rania to be safe. Well, I have a couple that I picked out for you, Hannah. Unfortunately, Rania won't be able to get in on this, but uh, if, if this qualifies for uh, a gaffe, or, or maybe it just is actually fun, uh, it's not really a gaffe, this is just how these characters act, but... Uh, some of you may be familiar with the character of Peter Dow, and and Peter Dow plays this somewhat unhinged liberal Clinton Democrat on Twitter. Uh, he receives money from David Brock, or has received money from David Brock to uh, fund his operations. Uh, he's run websites that are very blue. And he's proud about how blue they are. They're like share blue. And he talks a lot about how they are Democrat blue and has weaponized these ventures against people who are outspoken progressives or socialists that want to expand the spectrum of debate. He's all about going after the so-called Bernie bros, uh, people of the alt-left And so, uh, as he tweeted in March, and as uh, we see going around as we're talking about the alt-left, it's, this is a guy who at one point said that both Hugh Hewitt, who is a conservative, and Mike Cernovich, who is this guy who's known for pushing fake news around uh, when it comes to just politics in general and current events. He said that they have complimented my loyalty to Hillary, which Bernie diehards never do. So, you know, in the past two weeks, we've talked about this false equivalency that gets drawn uh, by people who are centrists or liberal Democrats and how they talk about uh, people who are outspoken and draw comparisons between their behavior and the way that they see people on the far right behaving who sometimes dabble in white supremacy. So this is a very real thing that people have been doing, and Peter Dow's definitely 
a part of it. Uh, now, another thing that Peter tweeted out is about uh, what he plans to do, what kind of project that he has upcoming, and he said that, Hello, trolls, bots, haters, and propagandists on the Hillary's Next Book title tag. This is a hashtag, by the way. He's referring to a hashtag. He's losing his shit over a hashtag. He says, We know what you're up to. You will never, never in all caps, defeat her or us. I should probably be pounding the table because if I was actually doing this tweet justice, it would probably be something like this. Hello, trolls, bots, haters, and propagandists on the Hillary's next book title tag. We know what you're up to. You will never, never defeat her or us. How's that do for you? I mean, I just imagine that that's how Peter is handling this. Uh, I honestly have to say, as we as we sit back and we anticipate the release of this so-called tell-all book that Hillary Clinton has coming on the 2016 election, it's titled What Happened. We got a flavor of it this past week. And I, I've seen a number of Clinton Democrats, you know, continuing to put on this performance about how it's unfair for us to have critiques of Hillary Clinton. It's unfair for us to continue to discuss neoliberal politics and have these open criticisms. It's unfair for us to treat her like the leader and powerful figure that she was in 2016. And though she may have fallen out of favor I'd say it's for now, and and maybe in 2018 or 2019, she'll come back and Democrats may want to use her to win some campaigns. But this, what, what I would say is that there's this cast of characters that continue to put on this act, and it seems quite evident to me after this week that we're really tired. We're really tired of this act. Or maybe we can have some fun with this. Let's say somebody comes up to you and wants to talk Hillary Clinton and says something like, has Hillary Clinton abased herself sufficiently to satisfy her critics? And then you reply, no. Antifa! Yeah. And so then someone comes up to you and is all like, yeah, well, she's taken responsibility, and she's, you know, right that the Russians were interfering. And then you can you can do this again. Antifa. And then uh, maybe they want to quote to you excerpts from her book, and they all want to be like. Hey, she made mistakes, and she's willing to admit them, and isn't that abject enough for you? And you can just, again, you can come back at them with... Antifa! Alright, special thanks to the art director of Daily Dot, who on Twitter is Challenger, uh, handle baked in a pie for that one. So another... Another comment that I want to read, and it pertains to this episode uh, that I was talking about with Tom Secker. We had Yuri 
who left us a comment on Facebook about how uh, he was eager to get this book in the future. Uh, he would like to rewatch Starship Troopers. We talked about the Paul Verhoeven film, Starship Troopers. He said that I didn't see it as a film critiquing and showing subtly fascism, although it does show an over-glorification of militarism. But hey, those are giant scary bugs that are about to wipe out all of humanity, lol. And that being said, uh, he mentioned that he liked, uh, loved Three Kings for showing its truth-telling on Iraq, its depiction of Iraqis as human beings sadly swept up in imperial policies. If I could recommend any films that go against the grain... He'd rec- he said he would recommend Paradise Now. He mentions Costa Gavras' first film, Z, State of Siege, and The Confession, redacted by Brian De Palma, and also De Palma's earlier film, Casualties of War. He mentions Camp X-Ray with Kirsten Stewart. And he says uh, a little bit about The Revenant, although he uh, wishes that it hadn't depicted Native Americans as savages so much. He did feel that the the movie was a sort of anti-war or more broadly an anti-violence film. Of course, he's big into Full Metal Jacket, Dr. Strangelove, and Passive Glory by Stanley Kubrick. So, uh, I appreciate your... I'm only reading part of Yuri's comment, but I appreciate these... Uh, titles. I think some people who listen to the show may want to uh, view these if they haven't had a chance to watch these films. Some of these are uh, my personal favorites. I had a chance recently to watch the Costa Gavras film State of Siege, and I'd agree that it's definitely a m- film of the moment. As we see what's unfolding in Venezuela, this is a, is a film that's definitely worth viewing because it's 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 different because the people in power in Venezuela are leftists, but this depicts a country, and Gavras had it based on uh, Uruguay, but he left the film uh, in a, a sense where it was abstract. This was just a country that wasn't named, and in this he shows that there are leftist revolutionaries which are challenging the fascists that are in power and controlling this country and they're making inroads with corporate executives that are having meetings inside the country and the people who run the country, the the authoritarians are engaged in torture against revolutionaries and meanwhile you have leftists that are carrying out uh, attacks on government targets. They're, They're kidnapping people who are from government and they're trying to leverage and push the government into negotiations so that they can free people who have been captured by the government and uh you see the cycle you see what's going on in this country and it just reminds me a lot of the instability and what's going on in venezuela and how um that's not all just Maduro's fault. There's definitely the invisible hand of capitalism uh, making that country unstable, and there are also the people, the right-wing forces, the outside forces, the influence, the meddling from the United States that's making it very difficult for Venezuela to push on with this project of 
socialism, basically, of having more equality and justice for all people through economic or uh, government welfare programs that can uplift the poor and working class in Venezuela. So thank you, Yuri, for that. Uh, We really appreciate it. One more comment comes from Hyder, and Hyder said this podcast was amazing. He was referring to the Amalsad interview that we had uh, posted a couple weeks back, already mentioned on this show. Not only was this extremely informative, but the back-and-forth discussion made it feel like the listener was in the conversation. Very few people can break down the region's geopolitics like Amalsad. It was great to have her on the show. Uh, and so uh, we're very appreciative of everyone who leaves comments. Continue to leave us comments. Uh, I also just want to rattle off the first names of a few people who became patrons in the last couple of weeks. Ava, Jeff, Daria, uh, and also Hyder uh, all became patrons in the last couple of weeks. Uh, We really appreciate you becoming supporters. And again, all the people who continue to be patrons, especially during the summer when we haven't had, Ronnie, we haven't had the the kind of show going that we normally have. But we're going to return to that come September, um, October, start to pick back up, and it should return to normal. Uh, but you know the fact that you're willing to continue to be invested in this and support us as we keep this going, it really means a lot. And uh, it uh, has prevented us from just taking a full two or three month break and then coming back and trying to rebuild support. We we've just pressed on and continued to produce shows, and your support has made it possible to try and do shows even when Rania's in Lebanon or Syria and uh, has uh, conditions that are not entirely favorable to doing this show. So let's end uh, this this mini episode here with uh, a mention, a highlight of Donald Trump's decision to escalate the war in Afghanistan. Uh, Now this has fallen off the radar it should have been given a lot more attention, uh, but the media has moved on to other things related to the circus uh, that is the Trump administration. And uh, we didn't really get any sort of analysis, if you were following, about the Obama administration and the way in which the Obama administration set up this administration, the Trump administration, to continue a policy of returning to war in Afghanistan and of expanding the war in Afghanistan. There's a responsibility that uh, Barack Obama has for this moment, that his administration has, because the war was being wound down. There were troops that were withdrawn. There were plans to withdraw more troops. There was a turning away from uh, getting further mired in this war. There was an acknowledgement even by Barack Obama that 
the combat operations there were over. And even though U.S. troops continued to fight, they did it alongside Afghan forces. And they were supposedly there as just advisors, even though they were really engaged in combat. However, uh, this is going to change. This is going to re-intensify. And uh, there were strikes going on, but now there are going to be even more airstrikes because Donald Trump has re-escalated the war in Afghanistan. And you have people who are in media, like Maggie Haberman, who's with the New York Times, who tweeted out when Donald Trump gave his speech, quote, she quoted, We are not nation-building again. We are killing terrorists, says POTUS. And she called this one of his more forceful, best lines of the address. There's something about Donald Trump when he is in this mode of advancing foreign policy, the people who are typically critical of Donald Trump turn into uh, admirers. They turn into people who give tempered praise of Donald Trump. And so uh, the best thing that Donald Trump can do, it would seem, is uh, bomb places, particularly places with... Uh, you know, excuse my crassness, but brown people, it would seem that if he's picking Middle Eastern countries, he could probably go after African countries. If he wanted to escalate the war in Somalia, the New York Times would probably be uh, rather kind. Uh, they were contemplating Donald Trump's consideration of trying to plunder resources from Afghanistan to go after minerals. And uh, that's colonialism. So I wouldn't just nonchalantly consider that if I was a media outlet. That actually matters. And extracting resources from a country is uh, a surefire way to not allow the country to find some kind of peace. Those could be resources that they use to stabilize the country and they might want to use those resources for their own uh, for their own cities, towns, villages, however you want to describe them. The population there should be able to benefit. Uh, Donald Trump opening the door to let mega corporations in to mine and uh, you know having China already in there to mine these resources stands to reason that it's going to be very difficult for Afghanistan to become a peaceful country if you've got this extraction um, and on top of that you have the fueled uh, the, the violence with us not withdrawing with, with the U.S. continuing to have troops present there uh, and so you know another thing I wanted to add in here is that Democrats have this opportunity. There is a political opportunity now to take the approach that Democrats typically take when there's a Republican in office. Oftentimes, when a Republican is in power, Democrats will be opposed to a policy. They will be opposed to a policy that a Democratic president 
might be four, and so then they would have to be silent and rest on their laurels and be careful about the way in which they criticize their president, their leader who's in the White House. President Barack Obama is no longer in power, so they can now be opposed to Donald Trump, which is a very good look for the Democrats. This is a very good opportunity to take. Now that Donald Trump is escalating the war politically, they could come out and they could join with uh, people who have led the way on this, like Barbara Lee in the House. Uh, You could join with others in the Senate, maybe uh, Jeff Merkley or even uh, Chris Murphy or these other senators that have been outspoken on foreign policy might want to step forward and do something to challenge Donald Trump on escalating the war in Afghanistan. This new policy that he is touting, he claims it's a new strategy, has many components of President Obama's policy toward the war, toward, toward Afghanistan. He's integrating approaches that involve economic strategies, that involve diplomacy, and he wants to uh, diminish the rules for airstrikes and make it easier for uh, military to just go in there and bomb. They want more latitude to send troops in and engage in Operations, But Obama had already been weakening the regulations in the last year that he was in office. Uh, you've had an uptick in airstrikes. And also there were secretive troop buildups that were happening in Afghanistan, although he had claimed the combat phase of the war had ended. So uh, Donald Trump uh, can rail on h- however much he wants and, and create figments of our imagination about how Barack Obama was uninterested in keeping the country safe. Fact is that he was doing a pretty good job of projecting empire in Afghanistan. That also extends into whatever Trump might have planned for Pakistan because this was the country where Barack Obama launched 375 drone strikes and injured at least 990 people and killed more than 2,100 people. Uh, including the people, the the individuals that would be labeled militants by the White House, and, and these were all documented by um, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, that's based in the UK. This outfit that's done a very good job of track, tracking the drone war, and so the war in Afghanistan, launched in 2001, had a chance to end. Uh, we were we're headed in that direction, and Barack Obama abruptly reversed course. There are a lot of demands from Senate Democrats and House Democrats for specifics. They're saying they don't quite know how Donald Trump is going to accomplish the pursuit of his new strategy. Again, it's not a new strategy, but let's pretend it is. They wonder what exactly his approach is going to achieve because there weren't specifics outlined. I'd say that it's up to us to maintain that Democrats need to focus on specifics which matter. They should focus on the human toll of this endless war in Afghanistan. So here's some stats. These may be familiar to you. We mentioned them on some earlier episodes when Barack Obama was winding down his presidency. I talked about these statistics. So we know since August 2016 that... 
There were at least 31,000 Afghan civilians who were killed in Afghanistan since the war started. There are well over 40,000 Afghan civilians who have been seriously injured since January 2009. Uh, As far as numbers before that, we can presume that there were tens of thousands of more injuries. We know that the International Committee of the Red Cross has treated 9,200 new patients. They did this in 2015, and that uh, they treated uh, 1,261. They had to amputate the limbs of those people. And that's just for the year 2015. It's estimated as of June 2016 that there were around 1.4 million refugees in Afghanistan and that there were nearly a million Afghans who were internally displaced. There are at least 2.6 million Afghan refugees in over 70 countries. This is what we should focus upon. These are specifics that we need to be reminding Donald Trump of and that the Democrats should be putting forward when they have discussions about this war. Obama, when he was president, there was an uptick in the amount of civilians in Afghanistan who were being killed by quote-unquote pro-government forces in the country. It increased dramatically. And since 2013, deaths of children have been around... uh, There were 639 children who have been killed... 1,800, over 1,800 injuries of children. The rate of civilian deaths has skyrocketed, and that was because of a loosening of rules when it came to airstrikes. So, these are the specifics. This is what matters. We don't need a specific strategy. There's no way that Donald Trump is going to crack this. He's not going to magically find a better way to wage empire in Afghanistan and uh, bring peace to the country while the U.S. continues to be occupiers in Afghanistan. We specifically need to care about refugees, to care about the civilian toll, to care about the way in which the war is fueling more violence, how this all contributes to a cycle, to care about the possibility of of more instability because Donald Trump wants to aggressively go against Pakistan, wants to aggressively go against India. And this is what we need to be concerned about. So I want to thank you for listening to the show. It's a much shorter episode this week. Uh, We thank you for your support. And we'll be back after a break uh, in September. We'll have new episodes for you, and we'll push on through 2017, continuing to address uh, the tragedy and farce of President Donald Trump's administration. So thank you, and um, have a good next couple of weeks. 